Hi, and welcome to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. I'm Joe Fremming. Uh, with me is either Tom Van Horten, who's been dead since 2016, or Paul Muadib, uh, who does the uh, Cast That Movie podcast on the on that shows up on this website? Uh, Hello, everybody. Hmm? Go ahead, Joe. Sorry, just introducing myself. Hi, hi. Throw you off. Come on, that's what I do. I'm gonna do it to I do it to Joe. I'm gonna do it to you. I throw people off. Go ahead. <laughs> so anyway, what we're doing, and oddly enough, we're recording on the day on February 24th, the day uh, Laura Palmer died, and if you don't know that reference i don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast this is a podcast about twin peaks uh, the tv show that spawned books a movie and 25 27 years later i think is more accurate uh, a third season which went against all expectations nobody expected this little tv show from 1990 to probably live this long what do you think, Paul? Yeah, um, I have to absolutely agree. And it was, uh, it was a phenomenon, right? Um, I mean, it was one of those things where I think, you know, people are still into it and it's a growing, I, I think it's still growing um, as people get into it. But at the time, this was something different. I mean, there was new stories about, about groups of people getting, and it's one of the first shows, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, on this, that. I can remember hearing about people having watch parties and getting into it and just kind of the mystique and the mystery of it and just the David Lynch of it, really. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, this was, uh, I mean, I'm sure there may have been some of this before, but this kind of, this show kind of, it was different in that it was, it, it was more like a movie than a TV show, especially with the pilot, which this is the first episode will be us discussing the pilot, but it's David Lynch. At this point, he's riding high, kind of. He Blue Velvet was a hit after he had a disastrous experience with Dune. Oh God! And before that, yeah, and I, uh, and before that, he had Elephant Man and uh, Eraserhead and short films like that. So, especially in the late '80s, when you said, "I want an executive saying I want a TV show," David Lynch is not the name that's coming up if you think about it, especially. Especially Blue Velvet, which deals with like weird psychological, you know, traumas, torture. I mean, Dennis Hopper's character alone is. <laughs> um, yes. And he's an auteur. It's not like he's popcorn. <laughs> that, I, I think, is my, honestly my, uh, my favorite movie of Dennis Hopper's. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Twin Peaks comes along, the pilot airs, and it kind of, they didn't think it was going to be that big. In fact, they thought it was going to be such a failure that for distribution rights, they had Lynch tag on an ending that uh, eventually would be called the international version. And it kind of makes it as, itself a self-contained story and whatever. But when this is happening, this is getting off track, but so the show comes out and it just blows up. And all of a sudden there's books involved. There's, uh, you know, critical acclaim. Like people just never seen anything like this. And, it, you know, and it, it's not an overstatement when people say Twin Peaks spawned 
a golden age of television. If there wasn't this show, there would have never been Sopranos. There would not have been Lost. There would not have been the X-Files. I was going to say the X-Files for sure. The X-Files. X-Files. I mean, there was, and you can testify this, they basically brought in everyone who was in Twin Peaks at some point as a guest star because that's where um, Carter got his total inspiration for the X-Files. Yeah, and Duchovny's in Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, he it was a minor character, which was another, uh, I think, that uh, Denise, which was like kind of like, that was not even seen. This was uh, a trans character. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a joke. It was treated like a regular... She was treated like a regular character. Like, it, it, didn't, it didn't make it seem odd, which is like, especially in 1990 t television, you know, that's just almost unheard of. <laughs> I remember that, and it was absolutely unheard of, and it was one of those things where it was treated so tastefully and so respectively, respectfully, and it wasn't, a, like, it was odd because it's David Duchovny in a dress, but at the same time, the way it was treated, and especially the dialogue, incredibly progressive for, yeah. for 1990. Yeah, so... The show is, is, you know, it's pushing boundaries. It's doing these things. It's riding high. It gets picked up for a second season. And the second season is when uh, the network starts fiddling. And this is something, uh, I know you've kind of done your research on Dune for Cast That Movie. Mm -hmm. and it's, he, Lynch talks about it in, his, in the book, uh, Room to Dream. And that this was that experience was the last time he worked on a project where he didn't get final cut. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's interesting that it was done both in movie and on TV. And we'll I think we'll get to that. And you know we're teasing things that you're going to get out of this podcast because I think we're going to get really in depth in later episodes of the podcast into what happened. And it is something I have done a lot of research on because it is such a stark contrast um the first season um from the second season yeah first season i would argue is one of the most perfect seasons of television it, it just it doesn't lag it doesn't feel like it crawls up its own butt which i think especially like a lot of people were worried maybe with lynch and full warning here to listeners i am not a devout lynch follower i will call out things I think Lynch does is that I think is ridiculous. I know that kind of goes against like some people who just think he can do no wrong, but trust me, he can. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, the song James sings in season one <laughs> is proof that David Lynch has his flaws. <laughs> I, and I am going to come from it from the opposite perspective of, of Joe, because I, David Lynch, as I've, if you listen to, um, cast of the movie, I've already stated it, David Lynch is my favorite director, or he's in my top um, directors of all time and, and writers. Um, I really, really appreciate what Lynch does. That being said, there are some things that even I can't apologize for, like the song that James sings in season one. <laughs> yes. So, so the show... The studio medals 
they have to reveal because basically the show is a high school high school sweetheart uh, prom queen whatever is found dead and the show's premise is who killed Laura Palmer and the genius of it at least until the studio meddled was that was always going to be a constant it draws you in but like all these other things are going on but that remains a central mystery so that happens they meddle they do the reveal Mark Frost, David Lynch, walk away from the show. Uh, those are the two showrunners. Uh, if you've ever watched a show that loses a showrunner, you can tell that it changes pretty drastically. Best example I can say is the TV show Community. Dan uh -huh. Harmon gets fired. You get the fourth season. Feels completely different. Doesn't Not that it's bad. It's just not the same. Mm -hmm. This with Twin Peaks. And I will compare that to a show I watched, um, which was Penny Dreadful, which went through from each season, had a, a lot of turmoil. And, um, and I think that's one of the worst examples of a show where the writing went so bad to the point where, without explaining it, they retconned characters that characters had known. So all of a sudden they're having a conversation, they're acting like they don't know each other in the second season. It didn't get that bad in Twin Peaks, but my God, it got that bad. <laughs> it's, it's probably, it's egregious to me because it's just such a bad nosedive in quality. So the second season suffers. They get Lynch and Frost back for the last, like, four ep episodes, I'd say, to get the right, the ship. And then Lynch ends the, ends the, the series, second season on a cliffhanger and an attempt to get the show back. Show gets canceled because you you get rid of the main reason people are watching. Why are they watching? <laughs> so mm -hmm. Lynch decides to go, hey, I'm going to make a movie. Now at this time, uh, we'll get into this when we do Firewalk with me. Not everybody's happy with Lynch, <laughs> especially the people who are on the show, especially the main character. <laughs> oh, God. Clinton David Dale Cooper to the point he doesn't really want he does at first he's like I don't want to be in this movie <laughs> and then yep. Lynch talks him into it and then he eventually says yeah okay but I want to be just minimal so Firewalk with me happens and speaking of retcon Lynch retcons things that are in Twin Peaks oh god yeah yeah we'll get to that there's there's a lot of retconning isn't there yeah and I don't think it's intentional I think uh, we'll get into this too, but I think the, and I, th I think it was Sabrina Sutherland who is kind of Lynch's handler, is even admitted that Lynch will be the first to tell you Twin Peaks is sixty percent Mark Frost, forty percent David Lynch, because Lynch is not a strong storyteller. He's very great with visuals and getting you to feel emotions, but I mean his, his writing and stuff that make a coherent, he's just not a coherent person in general. <laughs> No. It's not a bad thing. He makes visually stunning movies. I just watched Racerhead not too long ago. And that movie so makes feel things without having a coherent story. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. But you lose the person who's writing a lot of this or coming up with a lot of these ideas. And it, it the movie's grown on me, but I remember when I first saw it, I hated it. I was like, this movie's just garbage. I was so I was actually kind of mad watching it. Oh yeah. I was too. I was too. Yes, you're right. And it's grown on me over the years. Um, especially after season three, 
and seeing where that went. But I also feel like it was, and we'll get to it. There's a reason why it was garbage, and I think Lynch knew it was why it was garbage. Yeah. And so, the movie kind of sputters. He actually, I believe, he gets booed at Cannes. He did. He got yeah. booed at Cannes. That's yes, he did. I can uh, confirm that. One of my favorite directors. I know you're. He's not exact. We both enjoy Quentin Tarantino's. I think his review was David Lynch crawled up his own ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that was his review. <laughs> and I do like Tarantino. And Tarantino isn't wrong on that. <laughs> and so it it just ends. And then like there's always kind of rumblings. A lot of people don't know Mulholland Drive started as one of the, it was supposed to be about one of the characters from Twin Peaks going to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be its own TV show, becomes a movie. That's a whole other thing. But 25 years later, on, you know, but it, over the years, people are watching it. It's on Netflix. It's streaming. We finally, and I think it was like 2006, we finally got a DVD set that included the pilot. I bought the first season on DVD in like 2000, 2001. And it just starts with the second episode of the first season because they didn't have the distribution rights. Mm -hmm. The pilot, which it confused me because I hadn't watched this since I was like nine years old. Right. So, but it's building this following. And then I think it was in 2014, 2015, Lynch and Frost had both vaguely announced on Twitter that the third season's happening. Mm -hmm. Yep. Everybody excited because everybody's, the show is built on its, it, you know, without even Lynch and Frost really doing anything with this, it's just kind of grown because it's such a weird show. It's such an interesting show that it develops this huge cult following and they get the show back. Yeah. And it's going to be airing on Showtime. And we'll get into like all of, the drama in that with Lynch walking away. Yes, let's get in the drama of that when we get to that third season because that is a that that is going to take up almost a whole podcast of itself, right? Yes, because there's so, so much that happened in that time frame between when they announced and when it actually happened. So the third season drops, and it, as what I expected, it was uh, alienated some folks. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of people hyped. You and you and I are Lynch fans, so I it, it was right in our wheelhouse, you know. Yes. Stuff, but I can I. But on the other hand, I understand why some people were upset. You didn't get the damn fine coffee. You didn't get the quirkiness. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, that dropped, and that's kind of the brief history. But it also started as a Marilyn Monroe biopic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Tell me the this story. All, you did. You this, did research into this, and this is fascinating to me. So tell me about this. So, this company, I can't. I'm kind of spinning off the top of my head, but a company puts Lynch and Frost together, and with the premise that there's this Marilyn Monroe biopic or a, not a biography. It's a biography of Marilyn Monroe. But it's kind of like a conspiratorial one from what I have gathered in that, like, you know, she was kind of murdered or whatever. And Frost and Lynch were kind of uh, approached to come up with a treatment for it. And in Hollywood, a treatment is they're not solely attached or whatever. They're just coming up with 
what they can do with this. They come up with something that kind of, and it just fizzles out. That's just what happens in Hollywood. But it was a Marilyn Monroe biopic, which I would have loved to have seen. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Given Lynch's penchant for recreating like 50s and 60s styles and stuff, but but he inserts them in modern day, which, and it doesn't even feel strange, which is a testament to him. Yes. So then they work on another project called One Saliva Bubble. And the premise is kind of like, I, from what I've gathered, it's a, bu- a bubble of spit and there's a character and it, it, it's really like a weird premise that I, I can't really explain, but they had Steve Martin at one point attached to Star. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, because at this, when that's happening, you know, Blue Velvet's huge. Everybody wants Lynch. They want him because he's, he's an aspiring director at this point. Even though he's been doing it for 10 years, almost 20 at this point, he's kind of like, he's getting the name recognition. That, that book fizzles out. So then uh, they're approached about creating a TV series that's kind of in the vein of Blue Velvet and un- showing the dirty underworld you know, the flip side of, like, suburbia. Mm -hmm. So they come up with an idea, and it's originally called North Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. They're going to set it in a fictional town in North Dakota, where uh, I don't know, I don't remember the whole thing, but eventually it, it morphs even further, and they're like, it's too barren in North Dakota to do, like, what they wanted to do, so they moved it to a fictional town in north in northwest Washington State, with the title of Northwest Passage. That's right. Yes, yes, that was the original title. Was Northwest Passage? That I knew. I didn't know about North Dakota. I knew about Northwest Passage. <laughs> so it moves to that, and then before they even they just kind of have a general idea of what they're going to do. But before they create any of the characters, any of the storylines, Frost and Lynch make a map of Twin Peaks, which becomes Twin Peaks the Twin Mountains, everything. They come up with this, the town first and then uh, loosely base it off a real-life murder of a high school girl. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but it, you can look it up. Uh, I'm guessing that's more of a Frost thing. He's, he's a historian, uh, so that seems to be more in his ballpark than I would say Lynch. So they, so they end up coming up with this idea for Twin Peaks. And it goes to pilot. <laughs> it goes, oh, shit. David Lynch is making a TV show, and it, it's baffled everybody. Well, not you and I. You and I were too young to be confused by David Lynch making a TV show. Right, right. Happened. You and I are eight or nine years old. But I'm sure our parents are like, this, the guy who guy who made Blue Velvet's going to make a TV show? <laughs> See, now what's really interesting is like, and I want to say this because my, uh, my, uh, when we'll get to this because we, we were talking, you know, Joe and I have known each other for years. Um, I watched it with my mom and you watched it with your dad, right? When we were kids? Yeah, my dad. And here's the thing about TV when we we're growing up, you just watched what was on. It's mm-hmm. not searching this out. We had four channels. <laughs> 
I guarantee you, my mom was clueless and never saw Blue Velvet, didn't know who David Lynch was. She just knew there was going to be a crime drama on TV. <laughs> so this threw her for a complete loop. Um, and to go back, um, what you said was, the, 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 it was based upon the death of uh, 20, the body being found of 20-year-old Hazel Drew, um, who was found floating in Teal's Pond in Sand Lake, New York. Yes. That's what they base it on. Yeah. And so, and like, for me, my dad watched it, you know, and he really liked, you know, the quirkiness of it. That's what drew people in. And mm -hmm. What I like about Lynch is he really get, you know, he grew up in rural, small town, anywhere, USA. So uh, this applies everywhere. You know, like we all know, we all know these people in a sense, you know, uh, just you just know the town big wig, the doctor or whatever, and uh, so it's, it resonates with people. And so we get into it. And I'm what I started watching this show with my dad because he, <laughs> you know, he's just like this is interesting and like so it becomes a cultural phenomenon. And so I start watching it, and and I, we talked about this before, but I kind of want to bring this up because it's very interesting. It resonated with me growing up with this idea of a, uh, a, a local teenager being found killed because six months before this happened in central Minnesota, Jacob Wetterling goes missing. Creates, you know, yeah. nobody trusts anybody. It's all of a sudden we can't go outside. We can't stay out after dark there's a real looming dark presence. So I think this behooves our listeners if we take a few minutes. Um, Joe and I grew up in the same town and I think Jacob Butterling, even outside of where we grew up in the, our, our home state and everything like that, that also became a na national story. Um, but to live in the epicenter of it, right? I mean, I, Joe, correct me if, if, if you think this is incorrect, but I really think that was the death of the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, and 80s life of you went outdoors with your friends, you got on your bike, you came home when the sun went down. Um, you know, you, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have anything. Parents were just like, come back after, you know, come back before dark. And you had this carefree kind of, air of of childhood right and i really think at least at least for me personally that was the death of that right yeah my parents you know didn't want me going out after dark uh, couldn't go trick-or-treating with just my friends we needed an adult it 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 changed everything and i maybe i don't know if it's across you know the states but at least in our little neck of the woods it, 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 it changed everything. Life for us all changed. It was, Jacob was uh, two years older than us. Yes, he was two years older the, than us. I don't, I don't know the Wetterlings. I have friends who are with them, know them and all that. But I personally didn't know Jacob, but, you know, this is something that just, you know, you didn't have to know him to realize this is scary. This is a scary time. There's somebody out there nabbing kids. Six months after this happens, Twin Peaks comes along. Right. And the story is, you know, the town going through a trauma. It's different 
Laura Palmer's not kidnapped, she's found dead and murdered and people still, but it's kind of like the same feel. It's, and you could see it in like certain episodes where like Cooper's in the gym and he's talking and he's talking about curfews and all of this and how to keep people safe. And we saw that. We went through that. I remember being pulled into a, um, and, and remember we got pulled into the gym and they had a big thing about safety with us. Yes. It was, it was so surreal. And then, so I don't, you know, later on I can, it makes, you know, the connections to me are like more vivid. I don't remember how, vi- I just remember seeing the show and seeing kind of like our community going through this. It's, mm-hmm. and it's especially scary because when you're nine or 10 years old, your my imaginations was wild. It was crazy. So when I see Bob, Oh God, <laughs> Bob, Bob, and you're just like, you know, part of you is like, holy crap, that killed Laura Palmer. But you're also like, oh my God, he might have kidnapped Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So lo and behold, um, Joe can testify this. Joe, we've known, I think of everyone in my life, you're one of the few people I can say I've known probably the longest. Yes. Um, we went to elementary school, I think third grade when they opened up the elementary school. We went to elementary school. We went to middle school. We went to high school together. And we ran through... You know, me and Joe will be the first one to admit we ran through different groups up till probably about high school. And at the point when groups started to kind of go away a little bit, we all kind of intermingled here and there. Um, I was a, I was a horrible, and J, Joe will testify to this. I was horribly ADHD. <clears throat> I was just all over the fucking place and obnoxious. But with that, yeah, that? You, you spoke a mile a minute. You were up <laughs> just like, I drink a lot of soda. Like my friends can attest. Like you know, but like wow, yeah, you. <laughs> but I think that's just kind of like how we were, you know, when you're little kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you put that, you put this ADHD on me, which at the time was not a common thing like it is now. Yes, I was on medications, but probably not the right dosage, not the right things like that. So my, I mean, I lived in my imagination. Um, because as Joe said, you watched what was on TV and by God, there wasn't a lot of stuff for kids. So we had to have an imagination really, um, you know, at least in my house, we didn't have five TVs, right? We were, we were somewhat low middle income house, you know, uh, income. Yeah. You had the one TV in the living room and that was, (laughs) that was it. And you watched Mm -hmm. whatever it was on. That's, you know, it wasn't until my grandfather died in 1990 that we got a second TV because we got his old one. But, and we had, there was no cable. We didn't have cable out where I lived because I lived way down County Road 8 in the middle of nowhere. And um, so we only had, I was explaining that it was so funny you bring this up. I just had this conversation with my kids. You had PBS, ABC. WCCO, um, uh, NBC, UPN wasn't even a thing yet. Um, You had CARE 11, and then you had the weird UHF channels, which were only 23 and 41. That was it. That was it. Because if memory serves well, like Fox didn't even was even coming in. No. 91, 92. No. But if you could finally like at least get it on an antenna. 
in central Minnesota at that time. At least that's how I remember it. You're absolutely right. No, we didn't have, um, we didn't have um, uh, Fox till probably 94, but by that time, I think we had cable yeah. around 95, 96. So shortly after we got Fox as an added channel, I remember that was short lived because then we got, then we got cable. Yeah. I remember, I think I had Kate, my dad might've gotten us cable in 90. Like we might've had it when Twin Peaks was first airing, but it was, you know, he was the parent. So he wanted to watch Twin Peaks. And then even at that time, cable, there wasn't a lot. Oh my God, it was awful. It was, <laughs> it was awful. terrible. It was like, you know, it was like a lot these cable companies were just buying up old TV shows from the 60s, 50s, exactly. airing them. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't very exciting. <laughs> no, no, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But it was impressive because we had something like 30 channels at the time. Yeah, it just, they weren't very good, but like, we were like, wow, we got these many channels. Yeah. Honestly, uh, in, my, in my house, it was QVC was on all the time <laughs> my dad my dad would have me watch like pbs just because he wanted me to learn and then like you know when he wasn't around then it was like kstp because they had like the the run of like you know the disney shows or whatever mm -hmm. and oddly enough the mystery science theater 3000 oh. which was just nobody really talks about it but they would do like these little commercials in between yes <laughs> yes i when it was the count when it was the comedy channel it wasn't even comedy central it was the comedy channel and that was their flagship show and i got huge in the mystery science theater that was my thing and my mom got into it too but that's all we're we're, we're, we're going we're, we're going down rabbit holes here yes well that's also twin peaks is lots of rabbit holes but yeah so that's how i got started and so my dad got into the show and you know it was like it was exciting like uh, you know especially when you're a little kid you're like wow agent cooper and stuff but what really struck out to me and i'm sure it did to you too paul mm -hmm. it's in episode three cooper's dream has a dream i love that episode of the red room mm -hmm. and at the time nobody knew what the hell is going on and this is like lynch finally sneaking in lynchisms <laughs> into yes and you know it was like, accepted and like this was the moment but it sparked my imagination like oh my god what the what is this i want to know more about this room it's scary and it's creepy and there's this little man who talks backward and dances <laughs> and like what the hell is going on <laughs> mm -hmm. and and if I'm, correct me if i'm wrong that room was part of the catalyst from a dream that lynch had and he's like, I don't know what this means, but I have to put this in Twin Peaks. The, his story, he changes his stories, I think. Okay, okay, because yeah, that was a story was, I heard at uh, one point. He was outside and he put his hand on a hot, uh, on a, the hood of a car and it was really hot and it made him think of a red room. And, you know, you can take it with a grain of salt, but the chevrons on the floor, that's straight out of a racer head. They're on Henry's floor. So, you know, oh Lynch, take it with a grain of salt. But that's what sparked my imagination with this show. And it continued. It just, and I watched, and my dad's, and it was funny, we were just talking about this before we started recording. Both our parents 
stopped watching when the reveal happened and not because it took away the mystery. No, no, no. Um, well, I, I want I, I to get into that, but God, let's save that. Let's save that till we we'll, get to that. We'll story. save that. Because and that so, is a story. So we end up, you know, so I'm still watching, but season two takes a nosedive. And even at, what, nine, maybe ten now, when season two is happening, mm-hmm. I can realize this show sucks. <laughs> like, I am, I'm like, why am I watching this? This isn't fun. And then I just, you know, I probably stopped watching season two until probably, you know, there was, I heard rumors from probably even you might've said, I think that show's going to get better. Cause I remember then I ended up watching the last three as mm-hmm. they, so it might've been you. It might've been somebody else. I don't remember who else I would have talked about twin peaks to. I don't think it was me because I was sneaking and seeing things and I was getting secondhand information. And we talked about this before the podcast from a guy that was not the reliable, most reliable source. <laughs> <laughs> and, and but we both agree would make a fantastic Twin Peaks. Would, would I would re, I would cast his movie anytime, right? And um, but um, to um, to give you guys an idea, he completely gave me the wrong ending of the show, and was completely like when I watched it afterwards, um, and what I was seeing, I was like, "This is this is what was he telling me?" Because I don't this none of this stuff happened. So it wasn't me. I could say that. No, it might have been somebody else, but I was like the weirdo on the block who watched, who was like really like, and I described it to my friends and like years later, like I'd post something Twin Peaks on Facebook and like my, my best friend when I was a little kid, he'd be like, yeah, you would tell me stories about that show and it'd give me nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, you know, cause like you watch this, you have to tell somebody you're like, what is this? <laughs> And looking back, this is not a show we should have been watching at our ages. Oh, no. And at 9, 10. There, no. And, and I have two little things here. One, my parents bought me The Complete Mystery on Blu-ray for Christmas, and I watched the pilot with my dad and mom. And my dad goes, I didn't let you watch this. And my mom, bless her, <laughs> yes, you made him watch this with you. <laughs> so, second store, second, you and I were at a book signing for Secret History with Mark Frost. And what, okay, great, great point about this. I was, I went with my wife, and we did, we just ran into each other. Yeah, we didn't that. know the other one was going. No, no, we didn't know. So, we were getting our book signed, and I tell Mark Frost, I'm like, yeah. My dad, uh, I watched it in the original run when I was nine years old. And he looked at me, signed my book, smiled, and said, I hope you got a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so, sure that's the last thing he wants to hear because I'm sure he's thinking he's going to get John Lennon here. So, <laughs> so I have a, a little bit of a similar story. So once it came out on Netflix, my, my wife is several years younger than us. And um, she didn't know anything about it. So I'm like, hey, I watched this show when I was a kid. And she watched the pilot and she went, you watched this as a kid and like understood what was going on? And I'm like, well, as much as you can when you're fucking nine. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I told that story too to my, 
my now now ex-wife she was surprised and like my longtime girlfriend when we watched <laughs> the first season when it came out on dvd sans the pilot so she had a lot of questions <laughs> i i'm just going off my memory so i feel bad about that because <laughs> i couldn't answer all of it and she too was like you watched this as a little kid <laughs> right yeah Right. It's, it's, it's absolutely, I mean, it is, it is fascinating. It is, it is fascinating. And then real quick, after Twin Peaks, David Lynch did one more foray. I didn't watch it. It was called On the Air. Uh, Mark, Mark and Frost did. I didn't watch it. Did you watch that? No, I, I think that at that time I was getting a little older and I wasn't, I think at night I wasn't watching TV as much mm-hmm. as I was no. when I was a little younger. I was probably going out and playing with my action figures or something because <laughs> weird time where my TV just stopped interesting me and probably till the Simpsons mm-hmm. or that and mystery science theater, that sort of stuff. But I was just kind of like, I'd probably just be out putzing around rather than watching on the air or whatever. See, I didn't either. Cause at that point, I think I was, I was really heavy into my, I started getting really heavily into the games. I think the super Nintendo came out um the playstation was coming out and i was big into that and then again the only thing i really watched was mystery science so the two big influences on me for media and my youth was twin peaks and mystery science (laughs) and for me i and this is the only show i was me it was my the two shows that really raised me was twin peaks and seinfeld (laughs) yes i knew seinfeld did so because i watched the pilot of seinfeld that's the first time i i watched a show and like stuck with it all the way to the the end there's a lot of shows that i over the years i've picked up after it's well into their run like breaking bad i can't say i was there from day one because i wasn't (laughs) i found it on netflix and whatever so seinfeld and twin peaks made me the man i am (laughs) explains a lot explains It explains a lot about you. It does. It does. It does. I can totally see that. <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. Let's get into this. Let's. Okay. Let's get into the pilot because this is probably, you know, one of the things I, 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 I when, the, when it opens, right? And this was something that as a kid at nine years old, you know, what threw me off on it was. I'm used to when a show opens up, and again, this goes to just show how much Twin Peaks formed and changed television. You, it opens up with, uh, with Pete, who was in Eraserhead, and bless his soul, amazing. Um, Pete Martell, just kind of rummaging around his house, going out to go fishing, yelling to no one in particular, and finds a body wrapped in plastic. You see the plastic and, you know, as a kid, you don't really know what's going on, but I'm sure the adults did. That's, yeah. that's a body. What was interesting to me about this was this is one of the first times that a show kind of opened up on a TV thing like this, and it wasn't a major character, right? Like, like this show is going to be about an old dude, and then it cuts to this police department, and just the, 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 the cinematography is so modern. And do you, do you agree with that, Joe? Yeah. And I kind of want to expound about that a little bit here. Please. We're going to go off because I was watching the pilot at the gym today. Like I'm just on a treadmill. It's not like I'm killing myself, but it's just like it gives, makes my fat ass 
<laughs> You're a but better man than pilot, me. I'm watching the pilot, and a few things stand out. There's very little exposition. Mm -hmm. They don't have the characters telling us who they are, which is still rare in TV today. So you don't have Pete Martell saying, well, I'm Pete Martell, and I'm, I work at the mill. No, he, he's this guy who walks, he finds a dead body. And he calls the sheriff, and he doesn't say, hey, I found a dead body. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. Yeah. And so the sheriff knows exactly, you know, so she calls Sheriff Truman. And we get this little fun, funny scene between Lucy, which, God bless, I'm glad. I love Lucy and Andy. I do, too. The older I get, probably I, I appreciate them more than when I was a a young, snarky, angry young man. <laughs> but so we're getting a lot of these scenes and, and I realized watching it, it's not until they tell Bobby, Laura Palmer's dead. And that's the first time it's even said. Mm -hmm. Going through Leland, finding out his daughter died just by the sheriff showing up and hearing what his wife said that she can't find Laura. And he breaks down and cries. And the silence on the phone tells Mrs. Palmer, Laura's dead. You know, it's like we're not spoon-fed this information. Lynch allows the allows you to see how these people are reacting. And that's what, how they, they don't have to explicitly say it. They just know. And that would, like kind of struck me. as like, and today it would be like, yeah, Leland, your daughter's dead. No, he right. In and puts his arm around Leland, and Leland deduces that his missing daughter is, is dead. Until mm -hmm. they get dummy Bobby, <laughs> who can't right. read the room with the cops and knives. <laughs> so fucking <laughs> clueless. But it's even like in the classroom, like the teacher's like, yeah, talking, and then like the cop comes in, Laura Flynn Boyle and stupid James. Oh, God. They just look at Laura's empty chair and they deduce and they see the girl screaming like we're not told this we're not getting a lot of exposition in the pilot until cooper comes and what amazes me is most tv shows would start with cooper coming to town yes yes that's exactly what I, I watched the pilot the other night and that's exactly what i was thinking i was like most things would have started with that and yeah. the the other thing i want to bring up is is that lack of exposition because there is so many cinematographic scenes that yes. are just images right of lynch and this is something that i think i personally loved and we'll get into it in the third season lynch has a way of it's not the normal beats and it was very apparent to me in the third season when that came out and then going back and re-watching the first and second season he tends to create an atmosphere hangs on to a scene or, or a image, the camera, just a little bit longer than what you're used to. And that alone is actually super powerful cinematography because it creates an uneasiness, right? Yeah. It raises the tension of just a bit more than it, it, a, a different director would do. Yeah, and so there's all of this kind of up to the point when Cooper comes in there's these more it's the it's the images that are telling the story and you're absolutely right like i remember that 
And you, you know, as a kid, and I'm kind of looking at it, you have Laura Finn Boyle look at the desk when the when the cop whispers to the to the uh, teacher, and kind of tells the story of, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. And same thing when when um, Truman goes and sees Leland, right? And they're on, and that and that scene as a as a kid, it didn't hit me as much as an adult. And having kids, like that, is so amazing that scene where she drops the phone where he drops the phone and the mom starts screaming that is so unnerving oh yeah it's so yeah and it's perfect because you there's an old there's a saying in like creative writing is show don't tell and lynch is showing and not telling but we don't need to be told we can mm-hmm. see based on their emotions their body language and how things are framed lynch is brilliant with framing a scene so good so good. That is one of the things that he's awesome about. And I'm going to go a little bit down here because we just kind of brought in Dale. One thing I noticed, too, is that Dale's character, and I realize we talked a little bit about it, how it was kind of a – there's two versions. There's the pilot and there's the standalone because they weren't sure if it was going to be a pilot, right? Yeah. Cooper's character, and everyone's a little bit different in the pilot <laughs> than they are in the show right like yes. Cooper's demeanor is very different in the in the pilot than it is in the second episode he's um, a little more aggressive especially in the interrogation scene he's a little more aggressive with bobby where he's yes. like he asks the questions you answer them short and to the point <laughs> yes he's got this kind of snark to him right and yeah. then and then they cut a little bit to bob to you know when, when they show leo leo is looks different the way they had his hair a little bit different. I mean, the character's there, but just those little subtle changes between the pilot and the, the second and the rest of the season was something I actually didn't really notice that well until I was watching it this weekend to prepare for this podcast. And I was like, there's some subtle differences here. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that is just the time lag between filming the pilot and then getting it picked up. Audrey's hair is shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Very much. Donna's. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's this kind of like this different, different, like the characters are just kind of, they're just slightly askew to what we get end up getting used to. And that's something that I will say about the continuity. And I noticed that with, 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 with Lynch. That is one thing that I think I can knock him down for. He's not very good at con- catching continuity errors. <laughs> um, I mean, especially when you look at from season one to season two and how drastically the characters are. And it's supposed to be like the same fucking day. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 when, the, when the show ends, it ends on a very specific cliffhanger. When it <laughs> opens up, it's moments after and no one bothered to get the actors to get their hair back to the way it was before. <laughs> yeah. It's... And suddenly characters have new quirks. Like some of them are smoking that weren't smoking and doing odd things. And it's like, this is all on the same day. And they do make, they do make a point and we'll get to that. They do make a clever Lynchian reference or maybe it's even a Frost, Frost reference to why that is. It's kind of a joke nodding to, we know it's different. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. And 
if you're looking for a straight continuity with Twin Peaks, this is you're never gonna get it. It's this is probably the worst mm-hmm. for continuity, like we brought up before. Firewalk with me, retcons. You know, we have a. It's not really a retcon, but we have a different actress playing Donna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a different actress playing Donna, and they do kind of subtly change change some of what the characters were and some of the experiences they had. It was really weird, right? Yeah, it was. The movie is its own thing. We'll get to that. It's that warrants its whole a uh, whole thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, because that that movie, it's a very strange, and I I think they did a good job of kind of making it more self. They salvage it, I think, with the return and yes. with books. Ironically, since Frost had really nothing to do with Firefly, yeah, and the books do a really good job of that. So. While this is going on, there's B-plots still, even this early on. So we kind of talked a little bit about it. Um, so Laura is missing. You, you find out that, you know, I mean, you pretty much, the, they uncover the body. They, they, they find out she's there. And then the mom's looking for, is calling um, Laura's boyfriend, uh, his mom, Bobby. Yeah. And then Bobby, you see him at the diner, which is a staple. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in the diner. Um, and he's having an affair with one of the girls there that's being... Um, uh, Shelly Johnson. Shelly Johnson is being abused by Leo. And when they're driving back, this is a key point because it's supposed to be in... As we talked about a small town in Washington. And they make a point of it and create the first clue as to what's going on or a lot of red herrings. I wouldn't even call them clue. I would call them red herrings as to who could have killed her because again, as Joe stated earlier, that was supposed to be the premise. We were never supposed to find out. And he was supposed to be in Butte, Montana, and he's in fucking Washington. (laughs) (laughs) And, And not only that, he's back when he wasn't supposed to be he has a bloody shirt in his cab. <laughs> like, right, right. There's just all these things that are like, oh, Leo did it. And I remember my sister, rest her soul, um, made, made up a story because we all do it when we're kids. And she goes, you know, in the French version, Leo was the one that they only made one episode and Leo was the one that killed him. I'm going, there's no internet. There's no anything. I'm like, who the hell told you that? <laughs> I was talking with some kids at school. So you could stop watching now because Leo's the one that killed her. Just to be a bitch. <laughs> but, you know, they really heavily point towards Leo, which obviously is a, a great misdirect. Because Wonderful. if you're going, this is another thing. This The show is kind of, it's taking its beats, but it's also making fun of the nightly soap operas, which I think is kind of lost with, with new viewers because they weren't, around when there are shows like Knott's Landing and Dynasty and all of that, right? And yeah, so like it's making fun of this while it's also using their <laughs> kind of format. Yeah, so, you know, uh, Jode, he, he, I've tried to get him to watch Twin Peaks numerous times. And he's like, ah, I just can't do it. And I asked him, I said, why? And he goes, it's too much like a soap opera, man. I'm like, that's the point. It's, it's making fun of what TV was at the time, being so vapid and shallow. Like, that's the point. So I love it. I love that aspect of it. So, 
yeah, Bobby gets goes to school. He finally shows up. He's late. Nobody knows where he is. They call his coach. So that's the other red herring. No, he hasn't been in football practice all week. So, you know, that's another drop. Um, we get Bobby. a red herring with uh, the mysterious one-armed man in the in the, the elevator. In the elevator. Framed perfectly. He's in shadow. He gets in front of Cooper and Harry. Mm-hmm. Don't know anything about it, but, you know, he. It, it's just the way Lynch frames it is like he's suspicious. He's in shadow. We don't know anything about him. He gets off on a different floor. So we get like this ominous with him. We don't yep. know what this is. And frankly, we don't find out for a while. <laughs> Which brings up the continuity issues and one of the things that Lynch does poorly there. There is no way in hell when he comes back as the character he is <laughs> that they would not remember him from being in the goddamn elevator with him. There's no way an FBI guy's not going to remember being in the hospital with that fucking dude. I'm sorry. You did not pass the FBI business and become and, an FBI agent if you don't remember that specific information. And here's the thing. Twin Peaks is a town of 5,000 people. That they've pointed out that the sign, the sign was by the, the studio. They wanted to make it bigger, but they kind of retconned that. Yep. It's a town of 5,000 people. A one-armed man is going <laughs> to out like... I, I'm sorry. The only he's, just one. he's the only one with a one arm. Yeah. It's not like there's a million one armed men fly running around out there. So, no. Yeah. That's so you get that. Then you get a character that I love and like is Dr. Jacoby. I love Dr. Jacoby. <laughs> who is another red hair. And he's like, I treated Laura, but don't, her parents didn't know. So there's already. And he alludes to some sexual activity with her. Yes. Yep. Yep. You know, so he's he's a questionable character. Uh, <laughs> just, I love Jacoby. I love, like, yeah, there's even, like, another show I've watched. There was a show called Fringe a few years, like, ten years ago or mm -hmm. something. And the, doc, the main weird doctor in that show makes a reference that he had a front a friend named Dr. Jacoby in like Northwest Washington. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fridge did a whole um, parody episode of Twin Peaks, right? It might've, I, I I'd have to rewatch it, but it was like, they, did, a, they, they brought did. back Leland. They brought back things. They made a lot of references to Twin Peaks in a particular episode. Yeah. It might've, or that might've been psych. I know. Psych. Oh, I'm sorry. That's psych. You're I, my bad. See, this is why I have to do corrections on all my podcasts. You're right. You're yeah, right. So that psych, was psych. psych. Psych did that. Uh, but fringe made like little references to like twin peaks. Cause these shows wouldn't exist without it. So in a lot of like filmmakers give nods. And one of my favorites was in the third season of Fargo. They had Ray Wise. Mm -hmm. Peaksian, like to the point like they pay homage to the bowling alley and the big Lebowski, but it really feels like a lodge from Twin Peaks. It's kind of just <laughs> yes, yes, so, like, absolutely. So the people are tipping their hats to this because it it allowed them to do this. So they eventually make their way to the morgue, and this is one of the scenes that still bothers me. Because 
I don't do well with certain things. I love horror movies. You know this. I love my Z grade stuff. I love my blood. The they get they get the body in the morgue, and Cooper's looking for something on her, and he finds what he's looking for in the fingernail. Yes, a piece of I believe it's newsprint. Yes, with the letter R shoved under her fingernail. And they show him getting it out, and I still squirm to this day. My research on this, that was the one note they got from the the network that they wanted to take it out, and Lynch and Frost fought them on that. Really? Yeah. Like they said, you know, like, again, Lynch is probably smarting still from <laughs> Dune. Oh, if, yeah. When you eventually read Room to Dream, you'll sense that his... It's not that he dislikes the movie. It was the experience with that. Yes. Uh, so truth be told, real quick, that's going to be our movie tomorrow for uh, for cast that movie. <laughs> I had I'm to do excited. a lot of research in the Dune, dude. I know so much more than I ever wanted to know about it. I love the books. Uh, the movie yes. is something to – I'm just not a fan. I'm, I love Lynch, and it's, that's one of those movies where I'm just like – he has two movies I really – don't care for Dune is one, and I know. <laughs> I know you get. I love Dune. I love Dune. Lost, Lost Highway is the other one. I just, I just can't get into. It's just, okay, so this. I'm glad you brought up Lost Highway, because they get they start searching Laura's house, and by this point, Leland's had a nervous breakdown already. He's done. Um, Laura's mom is completely. Screw up. Sarah's completely screwed up. Leland and Sarah, they're just distraught, realistically. And they find the diary. And they bring it back. And um, they're going through it. And they find out that Laura had secrets. And this is something that Lynch loves to explore, is duality. And I oh, don't God, yes. think we can talk about Twin Peaks without talking about the whole thing being duality. Oh, without a doubt. And I just kind of, I don't know why, but it just made me, when you, we eventually get to fire walk with me, I think the other town is Deer Meadow. Yep. The polar opposite of Twin Peaks by design. It yes. Makes, everything is like the diner, the RR diner is nice, clean. The diner, the FBI, agent, FBI agents go to, dark, they're like mirror selves. And, the police department in Twin Peaks is the exact opposite of the tweet police department yeah. in, in there. Even using um, the agents are very different agents. The yeah. whole thing is so about, about duality. And that's the thing I did like about Lost Highway. Lost Highway as a plot and what Lynch is trying to say, I can get to a certain point and then he brings in the time shift in it. At the end, and I go, oh, my brain's exploding, Lynch. What, 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 what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think that's probably. I'd have to rewatch it again, but I think that the time shift kind of just, it just, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But whatever. I mean, art is subjective. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad somebody like Lynch is out there doing stuff like that. I can appreciate it. I just, I don't like it. <laughs> sure. 
but no, I, I I totally get it. And I, you know, Lost Highway was the other thing that really got me in the lunch because I knew Twin Peaks, and then Lost Highway came out a little bit later, and I got what he was doing. And again, there's things I don't like about it, but I respect what it was as a Lynch art project, right? Yeah. Um, so th- yeah, all these things start to occur. Then it cuts to, um the law or the the not the lodge but yeah the lodge the inn um the great northern and you're introduced to the horn family <laughs> that is the most fucked up dysfunctional family ever yeah and they and we'll both admit that in season two it it not only just jumps the shark it jumps over the shark and walks back to the shark and beats it to death <laughs> <laughs> It makes Fozzie jumping the shark make sense, right? Like, it makes that episode make sense. Yes. But, like, um, point, they're really weird. They're kind of like an odd family. Like, they, they're rich. They're the rich family of this town, Twin Peaks. But they all, everybody has secrets. And that's the thing that we both, it goes back to duality. Everybody has the, the, the front they show everybody. And then there's, their darker sides, their other sides. We get that with Ben Horn and Jerry Horn. Well, I don't even know if Jerry Horn has a dark side, like dark or light side. He's <laughs> Jerry. Like there's he's Jerry. He's Jerry. And, <laughs> and Jerry wasn't in the pilot. Jerry didn't show up till I think episode three. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry's just Jerry. And even in even in season three, we'll get to that. Jerry's just Jerry. Yeah. Jerry. No, and I will say he does have a dark side. And we'll bring that up later. He does. He does have a dark side. Which is odd because it's only shown really once and never brought up again. Um, so, so they're having, they're trying to sell, they're trying to sell this. The you find out that they're this is the B plot, right? Where <laughs> there's the mill, and the horns are trying to sell the mill, even though they don't own it. Which is the worst <laughs> business move ever by a, a guy that's supposedly a millionaire in the in the in, in the community. This is the worst business move ever. Um, he, must he's be, got, he must be a Trump. Yeah, right? That's not <laughs> I mean, it's it, absolutely. Uh, oh, good. We could get into politics in this one. Yeah, no, he really has. He must have gone to the Trump school of business because he's selling something he doesn't have. And he, to the point where he has the, was it the, um, it was the Norwegians. Yes, the, the Norwegians. The Norwegians. He's getting in the sign on this property that he doesn't own. His daughter comes in for no reason um, after fucking up the, the concierge's stuff with, <laughs> with coffee to sneak into the room to tell this room full of Norwegians why you need that many people to sign off on a deal, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've never been to a business deal where I've had to have a, literally a classroom full of people sign a contract. Um, they all flew over from Norway. <laughs> they all flew over from Norway. How much money was that? How much money did the Horns have? Why is he living in Twin Peaks? Um, running an inn. Um, and she tells everyone, I'm really sad. They found my friend Laura murdered. And, this, <laughs> and she's all like, <laughs> like all happy that she fucked up her dad's money deal. And this Paul? is never explained, Joe. Paul, are we saying Audrey Horn was the first internet troll? 
Yes. She's just going and upsetting people for no reason. <laughs> She's fucking herself out of her own dad's money. Right? <laughs> like, I my dad's gonna get a multi-million dollar for this land he doesn't own because he doesn't have to give it to anyone. The contract's been signed. And she's ruining this business deal, which is the whole, even through the second season, really, is like the whole catalyst to everything that that Horn wants. Well, until he fucking becomes a civil war. We'll get in that. But the whole cat... Yeah, he wants nothing to do but sell this land. This is the story. This is what... And just, she completely fucks it up. And you go, there's no rhyme or reason to it. She's just a bitch. <laughs> Another way, yeah, she's just a spiteful. She did a lot of spite. Like, again, I was raised on Seinfeld and Twin Peaks, so I do a lot of things just purely out of spite. <laughs> okay, so so you're saying you're the Audrey Horn of Twin Peaks then. <laughs> I, she was, she still is like, not only is like, she was like, after Princess Leia, like, my first crush, like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, I, I even the points where some of my exes would get jealous because I'd be, like, watching Twin Peaks, you know? <laughs> like, right, right. She's beautiful. But, like, I liked her as a character. She was a – Lynch and Frost wrote a lot of, like, really strong female characters, which is another thing that really wasn't a thing in 1990. <laughs> you didn't see a lot of like headstrong women characters. No, no. And they wrote some great strong characters. I mean, when you, God, yes. Um, although they all make, and this is the theme too in the show. Everyone makes a bad decisions, right? <laughs> like Donna lies. Like a lot of this, a lot of this, I was watching the pilot. I'm like, you know, a lot of this could have been resolved if Donna had been honest in the in, in the interview yes. with Cooper right in the beginning. So Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, but no, you had Shelly who I mean th what she goes through in her arc and what she goes through with Leo is uh, is incredibly strong. The fact that you have Donna and Maddie later basically playing Nancy Drew but, and I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a condescending way. I mean that in a affirming way. Like, they put themselves in some serious danger that you didn't see women do on TV. Yeah, there's a, especially a scene in the second season that's after the reveal. There's like, it's not a Lynch episode, but it's one of my favorite scenes, and you just sense the dread, is Donna's in the house with Leland. And Leland seeing Bob. Oh, yes. And you know, he, she's going to be the next. You just sense this. And she gets out and it's, it's shot so well. And it's just like, you know, it's. But these are strong women characters. I love it. And it was just like, again, you never saw this when we were growing up. <laughs> no, no. And, and, and look, we, gotta, we can't talk about strong women without talking about Nadine. <laughs> becomes comically strong. Becomes comically strong, but she runs that house. Yeah, she is almost downright bullying poor Big Ed. Yes, poor Big Ed. <laughs> my favorite, my Ed. There you go. <laughs> but it doesn't feel like 
a typical nagging housewife. It's just she's headstrong and that's just who she is. It doesn't feel like it's talking down to the character and like, oh, my wife. <laughs> no, but it definitely... Ed's lo Ed loves her and he does everything because, like, you know, he's probably also deathly afraid. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, there is that hint early, again, because everything kind of changes. The continuity changes. But in that pilot, you get the sense that um, does does he need to go tell someone he's not safe at home? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, he alludes to. He's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, and you know, like when Norma calls him for them to be at the at the um, at the double R. No, not the double R. The um, the Roadhouse, right? I promise I wouldn't call you there. You know, and he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> And, 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 and it doesn't feel like it's insulting to her character. No, it's not insulting to her like, character. They could have played that so differently where it's just a nagging, you know, because that's what it was on TV. That's, you know, that's the stereotype. But Nadine is not that. She's headstrong and like she's inventing. Yes. <laughs> it's like yeah, she's weird, but it, it's a total Lynchian invention. <laughs> I'm guessing like. The drapes at his house were really loud. <laughs> <laughs> and the point where he drips the oil in and she just blows up on him, right? And yes. it's not nagging. It's headstrong. It's I run this house. It's totally different than what you saw in, in that regards. The only one that I think really was written poorly, or not poorly, but was... Um, Betty Briggs. Yes. And Garland is different in the first couple. Remember, he's, he, it's weird. Like, he slaps Bobby's cigarette out. Yeah, right into the mashed potatoes. Right, right in the mashed potatoes. It was and, like a meatloaf or something. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and Betty pretends it doesn't happen. But when you get to know the, the, again, that's one of those things where the characters changes because you would never expect it again. No, Garland, and you never get that character again. No, because Garland, Garland becomes a more of a. He's kind of like a. He's kind of like Cooper in his. He's zen about things, which is kind of funny seeing like these kind of zen attitudes with government officials. <laughs> and that's that. Do right. That's that's something you didn't see on TV. He is a zen military man, right? <laughs> he's, he's you know it's the complete opposite of what you saw in the tropes. And I loved. Uh, I loved how Frost books like expand upon his character a lot. So good. And like, so I like how they treated it. But yeah, Garland's different. His wife is, is different. There's a sense of menace in the Briggs home that doesn't come back again. Yeah, it doesn't come back. It's totally gone. And by the end of it, he's like this loving husband, right? Yeah. And you could tell that they love each other. And, um, I think that he was my favorite character yeah. in the well, show. He has that nice moment. Like, I think it's at Laura's funeral where he comes up to Bobby and he's like, if you need to talk or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I will admit, I, I, Don Davis was a, Oh God. Yeah. Was, was a, 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 an amazing character TV actor. Yes, I loved it. You know, X-Files, Stargate SG-1, like my ex-wife got me into that show. Mm-hmm. Most character in that. And I love that he has a small cameo in Con Air. 
when Pinball falls from the airplane, he lands on Don Davis's car. <laughs> yes. I, Don Davis, I was, and you know, he was in a lot of things. I think he was in, um, uh, um, I just want to highlight him briefly because rest his soul, he was an amazing guy. I, my mom was an avid watcher of MacGyver. And he was in MacGyver. He was a, he was a, um, and he was, uh, also, I didn't, I didn't know this until researching a little bit into him. You know, he was on Highlander, the series. Yes, I did. I did a rewatch of Highlander like five years ago. And I remember him popping up in that. I, he wasn't a regular. No, but. no, but he was just one of those great actors you could he was so solid in everything he did yeah he was yeah i love and i loved how they got him in the return yes oh and, uh, i and i don't know if that was like b-roll or something or whatever where he I, he has like a very small line i'll have to like re-watch i haven't watched the return in a long time probably mm-hmm. like two years now but he does have like a line in that it was archival footage. It was archival B-roll. footage. Yeah. It was. Yep. Yep. It was B roll. It was absolute B roll. So, but and you get, Riggs, yeah. you get the introduction to the log lady. The log lady, which here's the uh, the actress who plays Cat is it Catherine Coulson or is that the it, name? Nope. 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 It's nope. It was Kath. Uh, the actress's name is Catherine Coulson. Catherine Coulson. She was. Uh, she she's worked with Lynch. She had worked with Lynch since Eraserhead. She worked on like uh, the set. Uh, Betty Briggs is the female character, the woman character in Eraserhead. Lynch brings a lot of the actors he likes working with. He works with them for life. Well, so, so she was married to Jack Nance for a while. Yes, uh, Jack Nance. Had Pete Martell. Bad drink. Yeah, he also had a bad drinking problem, which led to his ultimate. He was killed, I believe, outside a donut shop. Yes. How how that wasn't a plot in a David Lynch movie and re- instead of reality, I have no idea. But <laughs> but uh, so yes, Jack Nance was a notorious alcoholic. Yes, uh, Catherine Coulson. Lynch wanted the log lady, I believe, in. he had a character idea for Eraserhead of a woman with a log. And uh, it didn't work out. It's just that movie took forever for him to make. And, you know, he's, yeah, he's a guy who just keeps coming up with ideas. But it, he kept that. And it's also, he also did the same with, uh, I forget the name of the character in The Return, but the green glove was something he wanted to bring in. Yep. In the first or second season. So, like, he kind of keeps these ideas. He kind of recycles them. The Log Lady was originally supposed to be in Eraserhead. Didn't make the cut. Didn't make it didn't film it i don't believe so he brings and he's like but twin peaks is perfect for this because it's a quirky small town like mm-hmm. and we all have those ones we all have that we uh, before the internet before the crazies could get on facebook and tell other shit we all had that crazy person that were like don't go near them they're fucking nuts right yeah or they're just like just bizarre and like you cut everybody just knows i'm like you know bless his soul francis and saint Cloud. i was gonna say francis and elmer yeah, Francis was our log lady growing up. It's just, you know, instead of a log, you had calculators. I mean, this mm-hmm. people, unless you're from St. Cloud, you have no idea what we're talking about. Francis was a, I don't know if he was actually homeless, but 
he was a veteran, I believe, and kind of tragically was, mental was, break. There were so many stories. One of them yes. was he was a veteran. One was he was a professor. But all the stories led to him having a mental break. Yeah, ultimately and, he was a, a mentally unhealthy person. At least you get... he would talk to you with his calculator. Yes, he would talk to you with your calculator. He would ask for money for coffee. He was just, he was a staple of the town. Like nobody, he wasn't a dangerous person. He, he no, was, he, was, he was our log lady. He was our log lady. Apparently he's really good. He was really good at piano. Cause like he did a dueling piano once at the Java joint. Holy shit, I missed that. Wow. Yeah, I missed it too. But my buddy Kale, Kale apparently saw it. Uh, but you know, this is going off track, but every town has like these characters, which is another thing. It, it's relatable. Like, you know, the, that small town trauma, like, you know, like for, for us, it was like Wetterling, but that could have been any town where something happens. It happened. But these and, are all characters you see around, like everybody knows each other sort of thing. And Lynch was so great at, at, at doing that, right? Yes. Um, and as you said, he came from, um, he, he came from that. And you can really see that, like he had his pulse on what was the average small American town and everything he does. Yes, it, and let's not discount, Frost really wrote these characters. Yes, and Frost as well. Well, Frost was from our neck of the woods, right? Yeah, right. He grew, yeah, he grew up or at least lived for a while in Minneapolis while his dad, Warren Frost, was a stage actor. Mm-hmm. Going to, and I can't say Warren Frost without saying, you know, Susan's parents from Seinfeld. <laughs> George K- so Warren Frost. <laughs> so, right? So Mrs. Palmer loses another daughter in Seinfeld. So, so <laughs> awful. And toxic envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they, they arrest Bobby. They, they, after yep. the interview and they charge him with everything, they arrest him and they put him in jail. And then we talked a little bit about it. Donna lies to Cooper about everything. And they do one of the smartest things I saw and show just how cunning and how um, amazingly every small detail Cooper catches, which becomes uh, totally thrown out the window in the second season. <laughs> Um, like his well, when he just loses his job in the FBI and he's just hanging around for no reason. <laughs> right, right. And then, you know, like, they do the whole, oh, God. Anyways, we'll get to that. So, but <laughs> they, you, they, they do a close-up of Laura Palmer's eye. They, 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 bring, they show this video that they found in, in Laura's room. And Cooper deduces and sees a motorcycle. In, in her eye. In her eye. Inner eye, and that really, like, to me as a nine-year-old kid, seeing an FBI agent do that, I'm like, that's, like, that was my interpretation of what an FBI agent was, right? Yeah, like, and it, it is such a cool shot too. Like, I don't know filmmaking, but that's just a really cool and effective shot because it tells us, and it tells, we don't need exposition to be like, he's gonna go find James. Mm-hmm. He and, knows Bobby. Uh, sees the motorcycle in Laura's eye. He pops yep. at the right spot. 
I will I will attribute it to one other movie which um, I thought was an amazing shot. Like it's this is up there with one of my favorite shots in a in a in a show or a movie because it is just a, a really well done shot. The other one that I can that I know of was uh, in Friday the Thirteenth. I know I'm going way off track here, but there's a scene where in the original one they they use a leaf to cover Betsy Palmer's um, head. And it is shot, I don't know how they did it, but it's really, really cool if you go back and look at it because she's standing there and she's like waving someone to a cabin, but he's using an actual leaf to cover the head. I don't understand filmmaking. I don't understand how they do it. Those two things are probably one of, I think, the two most difficult shots I've ever seen in terms of how methodical that had to be to get that, to get that motorcycle in her eye in the 90s. I had yeah, to be there's, painstaking. There's no CGI. Right. <laughs> Photoshop's barely a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Photoshop and CGI don't exist. So that had to be shot over and over until they got it. And that is yeah. something about Lynch that you hear about. Lynch is notoriously demanding of his actors. Yes. Right? <laughs> I don't uh, think I could be in a Lynch movie. No, I don't. I think I'd the cry day one. Long days, <laughs> very long days, him wanting perfection. And, mm-hmm. and he I, got I, it with I, that I shot. Yeah. I don't have the attention span for something like that. Like it, I'm in awe of somebody like Lynch. Mm-hmm. And especially who plays Laura Palmer in that. Had to probably spend like a day just so he can somehow zoom in. <laughs> So there's a reflection of a motorcycle in her. Right, right. That's, how, that's all I can think of is that he did. I'm like, that had to be shot after shot after shot after shot. But then you have happy little secrets that happen. Happy little accidents with Lynch. Yes. Happy accidents. And there's, there's a few of them in the pilot. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start with kind of like a benign one, but it makes the scene so much ominous. And it's going back to the pulling the piece of paper out of Laura Palmer's finger and the lights are flickering. Yes. That's what those lights are actually flickering. That was not intended. That was not intended. They couldn't get them to work. I knew. Yeah, I knew that. That was hilarious. Yeah. But it makes that scene that much ominous. <laughs> it makes it that much Fits more. It so well. And 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 the, the fact that the guy makes a comment about it, right? And he's like, I, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I believe that's unscripted. And then like McLaughlin just went with it. Uh, Michael Monty and I'm butchering his last name, but <laughs> McLaughlin. Yeah, it's, the, it's McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin. No, Monty and uh, Sheriff Truman. Oh, Sheriff Truman. Oh, yeah. I can't pronounce his name to save my life. Yeah. The other happy accident, which changes. It, it changes the show. And it's because <laughs> they're filming uh, Sarah Palmer. She wakes up screaming. She has a nightmare about the killer. Mm-hmm. In the mirror above her head, Frank Silva is kind of like a set. Pro- he, he's, he works stage. on the set. Yeah, like, he's a stage. Yeah, he's a set man. Yeah. He's in the shot. And so apparently somebody's like, Frank, get out of the shot. Winch sees what's happening. He's like, no, stay. Right? <laughs> and it happened, I think it also happened again. Like he was just kind of like in Laura's room. 
Mm-hmm. He was just putting something, you know, he's working on something, and he gets caught in a shot there too. <laughs> like Lynch's. So the antagonist, the man who haunted my dreams, even to this day, I still have messed up dreams of Bob. God, so do I. It was a complete accident. <laughs> so do I. I I have, and we got to we're gonna get to Bob because Bob shows up. I just wanted, to, you know, I was, this is the perfect time to bring up that happy accident, and I still, yes, even talking about it and thinking about it and putting myself back at nine years old and seeing the first shot of Bob still puts my hair on end. Yeah, like, I to this. He's passed up. The actor played him, Frank Silva, or what? Is mm-hmm. passed on. If I would have ever met him as a little kid, even to like a teen, my teenage years and then my twenties, I would have ran away screaming. That's how screwed is he's so creepy and it's, un, but he's creepy, but he also looks like some dude who's in your town. Yes. Yes. He like looks a like a shifty the- dude who hangs out at the dive bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, when we had Tom's bar back when we were kids, we, we, we couldn't go into it, but Tom's bar, that's where he would have been. Was yes. at Tom's goddamn bar. So, mm-hmm. through complete mistake, or not even a mistake, just a happy accident, we get the antagonist Bob. He he didn't exist until that was shot. There was no up to that point. There was no there was no Black Lodge, White Lodge. There was no the Owls. There was no Bob. There was no Little Man. There was no Giant. It was just it was pretty much a straightforward crime mystery which you know given lynch it's probably the pilot is probably his most straightforward thing he's ever done mm-hmm. i would agree with that completely agree with that <laughs> but they keep bob in and then they make him a part of the pilot and yep. then they kind of do i think some establishing shots so like you know there's a presence there now this ominous presence there's a complete happy accident and so, he, yeah, and Bob shows up at the end, but before we get there, there's a few other things. So everything kind of leads to the roadhouse, right? At the yes, as all and, things lead to a bar fight in life. <laughs> things lead to so everyone's kind of converging at this at this roadhouse. And what I think is really interesting is David Lynch took a shot and didn't know what he was going to do with it, and it was of the lights changing from red to green and green to black, right? And yes. David, David Lynch is very obsessed with electricity. Oh, God, uh, yes. <laughs> it's in everything. It's in everything. It's in everything. And there, we'll get into, I think, that another time about why Lynch is into electricity because there, there is a theory behind that or a, a method of thinking that is not just uh, in Lynch, but in a group that believe in kind of what, what electricity means and things like that. And Lynch is one of these people that I've read from interviews. Um, but everything heads over to the roadhouse. So um, James is uh, trying to get away from not only, because Bobby and Mike, Mike, which is so goddamn confusing because you have why another- he did this. It's another duality thing too, because the the one armed man eventually is known as Mike. As Mike, his name is Bob. You know, so you have Mike and Bob. You have Mike and Bobby. These are all either by coincidence or by design, depending on how you want to think about it. I I think Lynch is one of. The, I think it was by design. I think it was. Like I if there was no Bob design. when they're filming this. 
It's got to be by design. It's yeah. got has to be. So I, he, I'm guessing he made Bob Bob after the pilot because you don't hear the name. Bob. No, no, you don't hear the Bob. And I'm sure I'm sure he's like just make, make him another Mike and Bob. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even like just we'll we'll get to it because there's a the the ending. I don't want to go too far into that, but you know Bob does appear, but we'll get to that, but. I don't. I just don't remember if they call him Bob or not. No, no, he did not have a name in the pilot. He did not no. have a name. Um, so they, well, they go to the roadhouse. <laughs> yeah, they go to the roadhouse, and um, I, I take that back. They did, but in a different in the international version. Yeah, that that Bob had a name, but not in the not in the actual pilot. So they all go to the roadhouse. Everyone's there. Ed, Ed and Norma are there. Um, they're having an affair. They're having an affair. Um, you, uh, Cooper and, da, um, and, um, um, Harry S. Truman are staking it out. Um, James and, um, Donna show up there because Donna yeah. stuck out of the house and then Mike and Bobby show up and everything culminates into this bar fight. Yeah. Everybody's Kung Fu fighting all of a sudden. And it is ridiculous. And I think they retconned it later afterwards because Ed gets floored really quick. Yeah. And then and he I, claims he got Mickey'd or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he claims he got Mickey'd later. On glass jaw. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the you know, the character he was supposed to be this weak guy, but they changed it. Um that, that's my vibe on it. And oh. some guy you only see one other time. Um, and there's so many characters that like didn't come back, like the principal of the school didn't come back. Um, uh, Johnny Horn is like only in like a few episodes, right? And he's yeah, we, he we didn't get an appearance in the return too. But different yeah, actor. different actor. But I forget what the I have one. I'm I'm really upset about one character not returning. And which one? Dancing guy at the high school. <laughs> the guy who closes his locker, does a little <laughs> twist. And then dances like an Egyptian sideways on screen. So weird. I'm so, but it, I'm it, so obsessed with this guy. But it sets the tone for all of it. It's like, you got this kind of creepy shot of this. It's a really far, unusual shot of the school. And he kind of does this creepy thing out. And then it's that uneasy beat where he yeah. stays on the hallway. And you kind of go, I think I'm supposed to feel uneasy about this shot here and you do but th there's another biker guy as a biker scotty or something yeah he's he's like he gets donna to james yeah he gets donna to james and then they go out and they bury this this necklace that what donna lied about from the very beginning and why they lied about this stupid fucking necklace sets off all these a horrible chain of events that again yeah. could have been solved, but there it is. And then they drive off. I think they get busted at that point, right? Yes. Yeah, they get busted. Doc Hayward picks her up, kind of like you know your sister wants her bike back. You know, they have like this comforting family conversation. Yeah, it's kind of a happy ending until you get to the ominous hand digging it up. And what's happening while the hand is digging it up, Joe? I, I can't what what are you getting at here? <laughs> um 
the the hands digging it up but isn't that also when we first see bob as well interspliced with that yes yes because that's when sarah sees has a vision of him and it's like the splice where he's kind of like by the bed mm-hmm. <laughs> it's establishing shots lynch was just kind of doing you know b-roll and he's <laughs> frank get out of the way <laughs> right right <laughs> Poor Frank, but from everything I hear, is the, was the nicest guy. Was the nicest guy. I got his, Frank Silva. He took his mom. He took his mom to the uh, to the opening. Um, <laughs> yes, he brought his mom to one of the award ceremonies. Like he was the nicest guy. He was literally a set dresser. And here, you and I have had horrible nightmares of this man, who's probably would probably like give us the shirt off his back if we were in <laughs> like we just don't trust him right <laughs> right if i had seen this guy in real life i could never get his autograph i couldn't do it i'd be like he's going to kill me i, can't I would i would i would poop my pants and run away <laughs> and and how he didn't get more creepy roles after that blows my mind he didn't live too long, I think, after Fire Walk. I mean, he ended up with uh, HIV, I believe, or AIDS. Oh, did he really? Yeah, and then he passed away in the mid-90s. Oh, that's so sad. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, he passed away in 95. Yeah, so he didn't, you know, he kind of got his fame, and then tragedy struck. Which <sighs> that's really horrible. sad. Yeah. Do you know he was in an Anthrax video? No, but it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, he was in an Anthrax music video. Um, is he scaring I, people? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'm not going to give you the name of this of the song because I have no. I'm not going to promote Anthrax ever get any money. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Anthrax. <laughs> Anthrax. <laughs> Thanks, Anthrax. <laughs> So, what what is seven arms and sucks? Not anthrax. Uh, <laughs> so oh. that's where it it ends. Um, or the so that ends and it's an ominous. So we don't know who's grabbing the locket, the other half of the heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Donna lied. It would have. <laughs> if she just explained it, it wouldn't have even been that big of a deal. deal. Right. But we see somebody stealing this and we get the sense of this Bob. And, you know, it's, we don't know what Bob is. Like, as far as we know, he's just some dude. <laughs> yeah. Old, we, don't, we don't know why Laura's having, we don't know why Sarah's having this vision. We don't know what's going on. It's just, is this weird, frantic end to this otherwise quirky show, right? Yes. And then the, it ends. And then now... The international version, which makes this a contained story. Yes. Sarah screams, this is happening. And Cooper and Truman come to the Palmer house and go in their basement. And Bob is there with like, it looks like a replica of the sycamore trees. It does, doesn't it? It's It's like a candles around a talisman or something there. Mm Mm-hmm. And Bob is there, and he's like, you know, I'll kill again, and the death bag thing. Catch and, my, and he starts yelling out for Mike. Yeah, yelling out for Mike, and we get the, like, through the darkness pass speech of Mike, and so yep. you're kind of like, whoa, what, you know, like. What just happened? Lynch movie, that's kind of like, what, what? 
just took a dramatic turn and just ends and it really doesn't even work as a standalone movie it was a standalone lynch movie right it's like okay this very much this last 20 minutes is very lynchy yeah but the last it's just it it comes it's shoehorned in so like even if very much did that i don't think he'd even have put that in a movie no I think it just goes totally against what he was accomplishing with what came before. But the genius is, is he uses this. So Bob gets shot by Cooper. Uh, and then all of a sudden we get uh, 25 years later. And yes. in the Red Room, the Black Lodge, there's a debate. Even this is how far Twin Peaks fans go. The people just call this the waiting room to get into the Black Lodge? Yes, there's debate if it's even in the Black Lodge itself. It's, it's, I'm, I'm just gonna call it the Black Lodge. I think it's the Black Lodge. I don't think Lynch was thinking that deep with this, even in the Fire Walk With Me script, it's called the, the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, jumping ahead here, I think where the fireman is in the return, I believe that's the White Lodge. Yes, it's and there's other, but there's other like. I will debate you on that one when we get to that point because I don't think yeah. that's what the White Lodge was. Well, we also got we, the White Lodge appears in the second season. Mm-hmm. With, the White Lodge, uh, yeah, yep. And it looks different, but that's also I might chalk that up. To, they weren't supposed to be doing lodge stuff without Lynch. <laughs> I believe that was like a a cop when yeah. he left. They weren't supposed to do anything with the lodges or Bob, or the man from... So anyway, so we get Cooper. He's older. Uh, he's 25 years. He's in this room. Not how Kyle MacLachlan aged, by the way. Not even close. No. Kyle MacLachlan <laughs> aged a lot better. Yes. He aged a lot better than that. Like, David Lynch probably thought Kyle had some really bad genes. <laughs> he probably knew he was eventually going to do show, uh, Showgirls, and that was just going to kill him. <laughs> well it certainly killed his career <laughs> oh that's so sad but yeah and, uh, so 25 years later yeah so he's in the red room and he's sitting there and he, ha- he has like weird he has like a weird thing on his tie i think it's like a weird or a weird metal on his his breast of his suit yes yes he does you never see it besides this scene so you know, they repurpose this for episode three further on, but he still has it. There's uh, the little, the man from another place, which he's called that. He's also called the arm. He's also called the arm. And that's in Firewalk with me with makes sense. He's Mike's arm. Mm-hmm. Mike, Mike cut it off. The one arm man's arm. Yeah, he saw the face of God and chopped the arm off the arm. Remained an evil entity. Is- because it was, he lived in the tattoo. Yeah, they had the Firewalk with me tattoo. Yep. And it also is Laura Palmer. And they have this exchange, you know, it's kind of like weird Lynchian mumbo jumbo. Like, I don't know how much Frost had to do with this. I think it was like Lynch kind of did this on his own just to wrap up in case it, it was a standalone movie. I think that it was more Lynch because yeah. they, in uh, Lynch, uh, Lynch's daughter, wrote the diary of 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 Laura Palmer. Um, Laura Palmer and in in that particular instance in that book they talk about 
she has this dream and she talks about what she says to him. So I think this was more Lynch than Frost. Yes. But, you know, he's, he's like, you know, that gum you like is coming back in the style. I mean, he's like, he's like, but the great thing about Twin Peaks is they'll have throwaway lines that they re- reuse. Use and make, have a big years, meeting. Like, uh, Albert, he's, uh, you know, FBI, he says maybe Bob's the evil that men do. Part eight of the return shows us exactly what Bob is. That's exactly what Bob is. Yeah, yeah. it seems like a throwaway line, but they repurpose a lot of this, and that's what I think is a genius of Lynch, is he'll something be like, oh, well, if we riff off that. Anyway, so she she's filled with secrets. She says, uh, I'm not Laura Palmer, uh, but sometimes I feel like her, and my arms bend back. Mm-hmm. Which just, is used. Yeah. And she gets up and whispers something in his ear and then it just ends. And now it's the end of the international pilot. It comes back and we'll talk about it more. I think it's repurposed and chopped up as Cooper's dream in episode three. I believe. Oh, I love that episode. I love yes. that episode. Yes. But it, so they shot this and they end up just reusing it down the road. And they like, you know, so Bob doesn't get shot, but they still use the scene of him like talking about his death bag. Yep. Yep. They use that a lot. Yeah. And like, the creepy thing is like my house at the time looked kind of like the Palmer's basement. So oh, it's like you know, these like scenes of Bob in a dark basement. I wouldn't go in my basement at night <laughs> because you don't know <laughs> when you have a wild imagination like that I did. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Oh, there's, a creepy, there's a creepy, dirty hippie down there who wants to kill me. We had a we had a ceiling fan in our in our kitchen that would, you know, because one of the things that they focus on is the ceiling fan in the in the Palmer house, and we had a we had a fan like that in our kitchen, and it would terrify me. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, weird, and even the trees swishing at night. Oh, so still creeps me out because it's so. It's so synonymous in the show with danger. Like, he uses a lot of like things that like trigger you to know. So you see the swinging light with the stoplight and the the trees. You know something's kind of bad's gonna happen. And I, I will say, you know, we kind of got we we got through this, and I know it was very disjointed, but and we didn't bring up probably maybe some you know like the the German Helga and. We didn't bring up some of these other odd characters. I'm sure maybe people that want and the podcast wanted to get to, um, or you know, bring up. It's not that there is so much symbolism and everything going on in each one of these characters and the duality and the things that we're talking about. And Lynch is so good at throwing in little things to just kind of throw the kind of throw you off and put these as this really quirky sense of humor. But really, the characters that we talked about today are really the main crux of the people that Lynch was tying this thread um, this thread uh, through. You, you agree with what I'm saying there, Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many, like, you know, I, if you want to hear about Helga, I'm sure there's a podcast out there for that. Uh, she just doesn't strike me. <laughs> really want to talk about, you know? Twin Peaks, <laughs> it's, it's a 42-episode podcast by Jim in his basement. That's 42 minutes on Helga. 42 minutes on Helga. But yeah, so it's like there's there's so many characters that, you know, uh, it just, 
there's not enough time in the day and there's so much symbolism and there's like a it's a whole other down the road i think with we'll be so the plan is we'll be watching two or three episodes yep recapping that but we're kind of going to dig a little deeper in the symbolisms and just kind of do what we did here and talk about it as we go along there's a lot there's especially when you get clue in secret history dossier the secret diary of laura palmer there's a so much it's it's a lot and then just like just the general symbolisms all cave symbols like yeah much going on (laughs) there's there's too much for going on and again we went on some tangents right but at the same point this is what this is the kind of conversations i think lynch wants people to be having about it you know what does it mean to you how did it you know because he really wants to connect with people on a level that I don't think most filmmakers and writers and directors want. No, he's kind of a man of his on his own with mm-hmm. the filmmakers like Lynch doing this. And like with Twin Peaks, it was the most accessible way he's ever done this, I think. I mean, he got regular everyday people hooked on the show. And then, you know, the studio just kind of screwed that up because back then there wasn't the internet for people to like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> Why is David Lynch leaving the show? Most most of us didn't even know Lynch and Frost left. We just like, oh man, this show sucks. Yeah, no, we didn't know. There was no internet. We had no idea, right, that they, that they left. And to kind of give you guys also an idea is that, you know, the original idea that they had when they pitched the idea of the ABC um, was that the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer was going to be kind of in the foreground, but was going to kind of fade away as you got to know the other townsfolk and the people they were having. And it was just going to kind of be this underlying current. And we talked about this, you know, ad, ad nauseum. You are never supposed to know who killed Laura Palmer because it was the idea of in these hometowns, a lot of times these things happen and for years, right? Joe, we never got a resolution on Jacob Butler. Not for 25 years? It was, Not, what was it, 2016 when Heinrich finally came forward? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, they, they, they reopened. I don't think, I don't even know if he came forward. They reopened he, something. They found Jacob's body. Heinrich, yeah. him, but he, in exchange for letting, for that information, he got talked down to a lower sentence. Which is disgusting, but but it gave the family resolution. So I mean, it, we could debate that ad nauseum too. But that's kind of it. Took twenty five years, which is another odd thing because twenty seventeen, here after the the weather thing, like things res- resolved, Twin Peaks returns. Right, right. So much parallels to that story and and Twin Peaks. And our right. lives with it, yeah. It's just, it's kind of strange, you know. But the the the, the life uh, imitating art in that regards, right? Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I would like to kind of go over the, the next. You know, we'll watch about I think about two episodes um, okay. per podcast. I think this is a great thing, so you guys can expect that that we'll go into episodes two and three, which we'll probably focus a lot on three because I think that's just a tremendous episode. Um, really, I think that's when it hit its stride. And tell me if you disagree. No, I think that's it did, and I, I think they took a gamble with the ending of episode three, and it it worked. It worked so well, which and, is so 
strange. <laughs> and I will say, for all the hate of, of, of season two, I tell people, if you're going to watch Twin Peaks and you're listening to this for the first time and you want to know what we're talking about and you want to get caught up and kind of hear our interpretations of, 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 of what we're talking about, I would strongly advise you to watch the first eight seasons of, of the first season. And then in the second season, I think it's up to episode 10, Joe, where I, so. I believe it's 10. You'll know it. You'll know it. I don't want to give it away yet but you will know it when there's uh, no more story <laughs> there's no more story um it is um yes it is episode 10 um yep it's, it's a episode. good episode it's considering like a lot of people stop after the reveal episode 10 is it still remains quality till 10 and then and <laughs> then you can skip everything up till episode 29 or 21 and 22 yes. when when kind of lynch came back in and started doing uh he, lynch didn't do 21 but he came back i think he was helping kind of get it geared up for when yeah. he was in and the, i think frost came back a little earlier to set up the new antagonist for cooper which we both have varying <laughs> feelings on. i yeah we'll get to that yeah because frost i think came back in episode at episode 26 Seven. Yeah, he came back after the lull was getting really bad. Like, yeah, I don't know the whole story. They don't. The thing is, a lot of these, a lot of the people involved, they wish he washed on this. They like, you know, the cast was pissed. Lynch and Frost left, but like, you know, over the years, they're like, well, we weren't that mad. We didn't really know. It's it like it, it's total BS. You know what? They're just doing PR at this point. Yeah. Yeah, Lynch came back. So Lynch came, uh, Frost, excuse me, Frost came back for episodes, um, um, uh, episode 19. He okay. came back at episode 19. So basically from episode 9 to episodes, uh, uh, episode 19, Frost was gone from the writing. And you don't have it showed. to. It showed, and you don't have to go back and watch those ones because you'll get the gist of it at twenty one, twenty two, I believe. Yeah, I mean, you could just listen to us because we're probably going to be pretty angry and going over like more than two episodes just to to get through it. Oh, it's going to be rough. It's I'm, we're going to be so angry. Like I, I, I don't even know how I'm going to calm down after. <laughs> There's some episodes, dude, where I will not. I will. I will literally. Yes, I will be angry as fuck. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And I know you and your snark, but you don't get that a lot from me in the cast. This movie um, podcast, you will see an angry Paul Muadib, <laughs> which is why I'm Paul Muadib here. You can call me Tom Van Horton. Paul Muadib here. I'm Tom Van Horton over in the cast movie. I like what I do with cast this movie. I am not looking forward to putting myself and we talked about this through episodes through season two again. No, but you know, we're going to do it. We're going to do it for you guys. Um, so yeah. And I think the good break to do as well, to kind of catch calm our nerves is once we get through episode 10 or episode, episode nine or um, of the second season, I think that's when we'll do fire walk with me. Is, yes. That makes the most sense. Yeah, because that's just it. It 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 caps. I mean, 
the last episode goes into it a bit with some of the other characters, but it's not, to me at least, the only thing that you would really need to know would be Annie. But if, again, if you're watch, if you're listening to this and doing deep dives in Twin Peaks, um, we're just going to assume you know who Annie is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and, and Annie's small in Firewalk with me. It's But she can... plays, <laughs> especially in The Missing Pieces, she plays a bigger role. In Missing Pieces, she, are we going to get in The Missing Pieces? I think we have to because Lynch uses Missing Pieces. Lynch and Frost both use Missing Pieces in uh, the books and in The Return. Oh, fuck. Yeah, they do. Okay. And, like, frankly, Missing Pieces is more interesting than Firewalk. It is, it is, it is. And maybe then we hold off to do Fire Walk With Me until we get to the Annie character in the second season, which isn't far. Uh, I think we could do Fire Walk. How about this? We do Fire Walk With Me, then go, and then we'll do Missing Pieces before or after the finale. Ooh, yeah. We might have to we might have to do that thing. after the finale. Yeah, we might have to do Missing Pieces after, because especially we, we there's things that we do need to touch on in that before we get to season three. Yeah. So missing, think, missing pieces links up to the return. Yeah. And, and I do think fire walk with me by itself needs its own episode without missing pieces. Cause <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah, um, it, let's go it, totally off, off charts here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but so we just want to give you guys a flavor of what to expect in the, in the upcoming podcast. And, um, uh, you know, I think there's been a, you know, let, let's, let's call it the elephant in the room here, Joe. There's been a lot of podcasts over the years about Twin Peaks. Yes. Um, this is coming from our perspectives and from fans of Lynch and things like that. Um, I don't want to cover Joe. I, I correct me if I'm wrong. If you really want to go in those things, you can, I watched a four hour video with a guy that was going into the whole why Twin oh. Peaks meant the, ex- the, the whole big explanation thing yes yeah i got into it but he, here's the I, I get really turned off by people who and this i'll just make this i get turned off by people who negate frost contribution and then just kind of worship at the altar of lynch i completely agree completely and agree with you what that guy does he even but he tries to preface is like i'm not trying to downplay blah 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 and then he spends like hours kind of crapping on frost and i'm just like dude like lynch made dune man you know he he's not <laughs> he's not 100 man like, and i you and i like stop yeah yeah and and the thing is is that you cannot downplay Frost's writing in no, this he's, he he we'll get into it but he he comes from the tv background he knows how to keep the audience and the narrative flowing. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a strong writer. I mean, we'll get into that with, with the secret history and um, the final dossier. Yes. Uh, um, so, all right. Well, we went way over, Joe, what we wanted to do. I think that's kind of what Lynch does. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess he wins there. Um, but you know, I again, I think these real world experiences and things like that, you know, this is what you're going to get different, I think, from our podcast and others is, you know, you're going to get an interpretation from people that watched it when we were kid, when we were nine. Like, this is a totally different perspective. You know, we were nine, 10 watching the show and just the effect it had on us. And then going back, 
I really appreciate that viewpoint. Um, yeah. I think uh, it adds. It adds because what it meant to me at nine ten, the the underlining dread and feeling of the show is there, but my ability to understand what I was seeing is different, and I can have those two different lenses of looking at it. Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 kind of crazy, and it's this is a show that's kind of been with us, and we stuck with, you know, and it, it, since we for thirty years now. Right, right, yeah, yeah. We're we're dating ourselves, but it's thirty years, man. Yeah, in April this year, it'll be thirty years since the show started on network yeah. TV. And uh, to cap it off, we are going to have, I mean, it's, it's Twin Peaks Day. Cooper came in the town on February 24th. Yep, Laura bit the bullet, baby. Bitey <laughs> oh, bullet, baby. Uh, well, that'll make sense later if you're just listening for the first time. Um, Joe, I really appreciate this. We're going to do this um, every two weeks. Yep, every two uh, weeks. So, you know, we do that um, by all means. Go to the, you know, the um, you, can, you can hear this on YouTube. So like and subscribe that. It'll also have its own YouTube channel. I have its own SoundCloud channel. You'll hear it on the joedown.blog. Um, by all means, please, you know, on, on YouTube, guys, like and subscribe. You don't have to get your notifications. doesn't do anything. But just and even like comment. And Give yeah. us your input because we're interested in hearing what everybody else thinks because I think we're nerds. Like, this is like I've had friends who had Star Trek and like Star Wars. Like this is my fandom. <laughs> yes, and it's a weird fandom to have when you're nine years old. <laughs> it says a lot about us because I was the same way. I was the same way. This spoke to me in a way that Porky spoke spoke to me. Yes, because I, that was my other fandom was was Porky's. I loved all the characters in it, but this was it. This was my fandom. I wanted to know more about what was going on. Why is Dr. Jacoby so fucking weird? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, completely. Drugs. It's, it, it's drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it was drugs, and it's, it's probably the reason why I got into drugs for a while, Joe. Um, I blame Jacoby. No. Um, <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, I want to hear other perspectives because this is just what it is, right? We're not inside Lynch's head. No. And, and he'll never answer anything about any of his projects. It's just, just not <laughs> He won't. And, and, and I think, Joe, we're not trying to tell you this is what it is. This is like, what we think. This is, you know, this is, you know, this is our interpretation. Yeah, this is what it means to us. And I'm sure at some point, because again, just like uh, the other podcast, this, we, we, this is not scripted. Obviously, you guys could tell this was not a scripted <laughs> podcast today. We even had a loose script and we went <laughs> way, way the fuck off. But so yeah, by all means, leave a comment. Tell us what, what it means to you, what you think it is. You know, what about the duality to you? We mentioned some of that. What other dualities did you see? Um, you know, what is it that you think that Lynch was trying to say with some of these characters and some of these shots? And, you know, we thought it was foreboding. We thought it was this. Did you want to see more of the dancing guy too? Does, does, does he deserve to come back in season four? <laughs> season four should revolve around dancing guy. <laughs> Dancing Guy and Helga. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. The podcast. It's just them. They're living in a trailer. <laughs> it's David Lynch's version of Married with Children. That's what it is. 
Oh my god, I would watch the hell. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. All right, Joe. Let's um let's wrap this up. We're two hours in. Um, okay. But. Thank you, everyone. And again, Joe, you, you did a tremendous job really setting everything up and um, explaining the stories. And I will be leaning you heavily on these things because, again, this is one of those few things that I love, but I think you have more insight into, into the backgrounds and how things were done. Oh, thanks. It's a lot of just YouTube videos and just kind of reading up about it, like just over the years. Not everything I is off of memory. So they're, you know, again, I get something wrong, let me know. Welcome that. <laughs> and and I will say I, I personally loved it because I this is something I actually wanted to do. I tried to set up a podcast when season three came out and it just never happened. And because I couldn't find anybody that wanted to do it with and I didn't have the time to do it. So I'm this is like a this is to me is a bucket list of doing a Twin Peaks podcast. So this is a dream come true. Same here. I I could talk about as we're still talking after two hours and we're still just as excited as when we started. <laughs> yeah. And that excitement will die. Season two. <laughs> It'll be bludgeoned to death. <laughs> you and I will be like, why are we doing this? We'll be like two married couples. Why are you abusing me with these episodes? Um, but we'll go through it together and come out stronger or we'll just have to get a marriage counselor. Um, <laughs> I'm Paul Muadib. This has been Joe Fremming, and thank you so much uh, for listening tonight. Thanks.